Before we hear God's word together, let's uh, commit ourselves to God through the reciting of the ancient uh, confession of faith, the Shema. Would you follow after me? Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Join me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The words of God come to us from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. But you, brothers and sisters, were called to freedom. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your sinful nature, but rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Starting this afternoon at 5 and uh, also at Tuesday mornings at 10, I'm going to be teaching lessons uh, that I learned on my trip to uh, Israel and Turkey uh, with Ray Vanderland. But one of the things that was very interesting and it won't show up on my lesson plan was this. We were about a week and a half into the trip and we were in Turkey and the leader came to me and said, you need to go and talk to our guide about John Wesley. Our guide was a man named Yelchin, a retired two-star general who used to command Turkey's NATO forces. And he is, like most people in Turkey, a secular Muslim. But he had been asking questions about John Wesley. And so our leader, who was a Calvinist, didn't know much about Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, so he turned to me. And so I said, I will. And I went and I said, Yeltsin, I understand you ask about John Wesley. He said, yes. So I started talking to him about Wesley. And then after about 15 minutes of this discussion, I said, now why do you ask? He said, because last week John Wesley appeared to me in a dream. And I thought, well, that was interesting. And, and then I left. So I went back and I'm talking to Scott Hare. And Scott said, well, what did John Wesley say to him in the dream? And I said, well, I forgot to ask. And I was so embarrassed, I sent our young pastor, Mark Williams, back to ask him. And this is what happened. Mark said, Yelchin, what did John Wesley say to you? And he said this. He said, John Wesley said to me, I am John Wesley. If you want to know God better, you must devote your life to serving others. You think Wesley said that? Think he'd say something like that? The founder of the Methodist Church who spent his life serving God through serving others. The founder of the Methodist Church who made hundreds and thousands of pounds through his writing and yet finished his life penniless because he gave it all away to the poor. He might have said something like that. But then, of course, Jesus might have said something like that. Jesus said, I have not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Paul might have said something like this. You know, I realize that Paul and I are sort of long-lost brothers over a couple millennia. You know, early church, church tradition says that Paul was short and bald and very fired up. I get that. But Paul said, serve one another humbly in love. All of the great practitioners and teachers of our faith understood that one of the very cornerstones of our faith is service. To others. Now, that raises the question, who do we serve? Gerald Sitzer in his wonderful book that we're using as a basis for this series, Love One Another, says that we serve any person who's in need. And I think that's a good definition. 
The Bible often talks about serving the poor. Now, what you need to understand is the poor is not just an economic term in the Bible. It can, in fact, mean people who are materially uh, disadvantaged. But it can also mean any person in, in a crisis situation. A person who's lost a loved one, someone who's mourning may be very rich materially, but they would be considered poor. Someone who's having struggles within their family could be rich, but they'd be considered poor. The widow, the orphan, the at-risk child, they were all considered the poor, and they were to be the recipients of our service. Now, as we talk about service this morning, let me tell you, I know two things. Uh, This is my 14th year here, and first of all, I know you, and I know you serve. And I've watched you do it. I've watched you serve at Fishing Under the Bridge. I've watched you serve children in the community when they come here. I've watched you go out of this community to children in need. I've seen you go to other countries and serve. I I saw you open your hearts to evacuees from Hurricane uh, Gustav and then later Hurricane Ike. I know you serve. But I know one other thing. That the world, at least according to published reports, and maybe according to our 401 case is in some trouble and these are very challenging times and as people's resources are challenged the number of people who who are in need and who need service is going to go up and our perception of the resources that we have to share with them is going down i know that i know that but i know that you serve i know that's where your heart is Shane Claiborne tells about a friend in uh, the United Kingdom who had this dream. The dream was about a child who was running through a house that was on fire. And the child went out in the front yard and found a hose and turned the water onto the hose but faced the fire and saw that his hose wasn't going to do much in the face of that massive fire. So he turned around and looked behind him and on the street parked in front of the house were two large fire engine puffer trucks with six firemen sitting on top of the hood sound asleep. So in his dream, the kid looked at his hose, looked at their pumper truck, and turned the hose on them to wake them up, to get them involved. Well, I know that the world is on fire, always has been. In our lifetime, always will be. There will always be need. But I know also that you are already awake, that you are already awake to the need. So what I want to do for just a very few minutes this morning is try to talk to you about how you make sure you've got water in your hose how you make sure you've got water in the pumper truck, how you've got something to bring to this fire of need. And there are basically two things I want to say to you this morning. The first one is this. If you're going to respond to the need in our world, you're going to have to create a space to respond to that need. One of the things that's been very helpful to me over the past decade is a concept that I've shared with some of you before called margins by Dr. Richard Swenson. He says that when we, when we learn to write as children, we learn to keep a left-hand margin, which is already marked off for us, and then we learn to keep a bit of the margin on the right. And if we don't, our, our teachers instruct us about this. He said, but when we live our lives, we seem to live all the way across the page. And we use 100% of our available time gets committed. 100% of our available income gets committed. And when there's a crisis in the body of faith and when there's a person in need, we look at our lives and find we don't have anything with which to respond to their need. You're going, and I'm going to need to create margin in our life to respond to people's need. We're going to need to create margin with our time. Uh, time, for many people, is the most valuable currency 
even today, and they'll often pay to have things done so they don't have to spend the time doing them. You're going to need, I believe, to respond to service, to schedule your life in such a way that you have available time for people who need. I was so impressed that 150 of you signed up on short notice on Labor Day weekend to respond to evacuees from Hurricane Gustav. And then even more of you signed up uh, to respond to refugees over a longer period of time with Hurricane Ike. I wonder how many of us could have made it had there been another one two weeks later or one two weeks after that. Do we have a space in our life so that we can respond to people in their need? We're going to need to schedule that sort of time. A friend of mine talked about how he made more uh, time in life uh, for something important to him. He said he gave up NFL football on Sunday afternoons. Now, I am not suggesting that God is, is calling you to do that. But I do think you should prayerfully consider what the Dallas Cowboys' recent slide means for your life and what God wants. What will go so that you will have time to respond to your neighbor, to your family, to your community and their need? What will go? You can't add. How are you going to create the space? And not only will you have to create space by setting aside time, you're going to need to create space, if you're like me, by setting aside money. When the resources appear to be fewer, we need to be even more intentional that we are not giving to God and giving to those in need out of what we have available. If you wait on your available funds, you're not going to get there. You're not going to... be able to respond to the fire that is burning in our life and in our world. I'm with Bob Scott. I'm so grateful that many of you who I've never even met responded. There would have been no facility for the evacuees to come. If many of you hadn't prioritized 15 years ago and set aside funds, we wouldn't be where we are today. We have to learn ahead of time, and, and that will call for making hard decisions. And I'm not one to coach these decisions I've been made always well by me either. I still have car payments that that if I could jettison, I'd have more space. But I do know this, that I've made it a priority, and I don't wait for what's available when I decide what I'm going to do for God and for those who need. That's first on the list, and the other things follow. If you're going to respond to the fire, you're going to need time. You're going to need money. That's the first point. Second thing is this. You're going to need to have a servant's heart. And you already have that heart. That's not my worry. My worry is that you'll lose your heart. That you will lose your heart. Remember years ago when they coined the phrase compassion fatigue? And what experts were telling us, if there's just one more earthquake, one more tsunami, one more hurricane, people are going over the edge and they're not going to respond at all. I worry about that. I worry about what might happen to you. Uh, Because the beautiful thing about service is, as John Wesley said in Yelchin's dream, we know God better. The downside about service is if you're not careful, it can suck the heart out of you. Eugene Peterson talks about when he was serving as a pastor uh, uh, while he was a student in seminary in New Jersey, and he met a janitor who had immigrated from Germany. His name was Willie. And Willie wasn't a very friendly guy, wasn't a very happy guy. He tried to strike up a relationship with him. He noticed that Willie liked to paint. So he agreed to sit in the church basement and allow Willie to paint his portrait. But Willie would never show him the portrait. Day after day, he'd spend some time sitting down there with Willie. And one day, Willie's wife walked in, looked at the picture that Willie had painted of Peterson, and she screamed in German, Kronk! Kronk! Which is, that's sick! 
sick. So he was interested. He got up and got his first glimpse of the portrait. It was, it was a man with gaunt features, no life in his face, blood drained out. And while his wife is berating him, Willie the janitor said, I have painted Gene the way he will look when all of the mercy and compassion has been sucked out of him. I don't want to look like that. And I don't want you to look like that. And to keep a servant's heart, may, let me make a couple suggestions. One is don't try to be the hero. A lot of people want to serve, but they want to do it all and do it themselves and be in charge. They want to give, but it has to go to what they say it's going to go to, and the way it's going to be distributed has to be the way they want it. A lot of people want to, want to help, but they need to be in charge, and, and the hours have to fit them, and the situation has to fit them, and they need to be known as one who helped. We don't need heroes in this. But we also, we do not need martyrs. We don't need people who see a need and throw the entire self at it in, in one big weekend or week without God calling them just to throw everything they have at it. It's like running into the fire without a hose or with just a garden hose. One of my favorite uh, preachers talks about when he made his first commitment to Christ. He said, I felt like my life was like a $100,000 check. And then what would happen is God would send me to Africa or behind the Iron Curtain or someplace, and I'd be surrounded by the enemy, and they would kill me for Jesus, and I'd give my life all at one time. God would call it in. He said, but what I've found is that most of the time what God asks from me is 50 cents here, a dollar there metaphorically, a dollar fifty. Walk across the room, stay up a little later, get up earlier, go meet somebody even though I might be an introvert. Those are the things over time. Very few people are called on to be martyrs for the faith. But all of us are called to give what we can uh, with what we have where we are. It's a very consistent sort of process. I don't want mercy and compassion to come out of you. Let me ask you to do three things. First of all, remember that Jesus loves you whether you help another human being or not. That you are loved unconditionally and that your relationship with Christ does not rest on your service. It is certainly increased by your service. But you need to know that you're loved and you need to drink in that love. You need to be able to receive service before you serve yourself. Second thing is you should never try to serve alone. You must be a part of a community. Jesus never intended that one of us would go all the way across the world or across the street by ourselves and attempt to serve all alone. We hear so much about Mother Teresa, but do we hear about the others who are with her and the, and the Sisters of Charity? It's a community effort. Be a part of a community. Stay connected to that in community. When your coal is beginning to go out, their coal can turn your dying ember back into a flame. And finally... To keep your servant's heart, remember this, that the person you serve is actually Jesus himself. When you serve another person, you are actually serving Jesus. Because the issue before us is perhaps what would Jesus look like? If Jesus were to show up, where would he show up? Well, let me give you some suggestions. Jesus seems through the scripture to be very preferential about the poor and about children. So anything you do to help a child, you can be sure that you are helping Jesus. He said, let the children come to me. Next Sunday after church, we're going to have a meeting about how we can be more involved with the children in our community, in our world, in the next generation. When you help anyone, I want to tell you a little bit about somebody you helped. 
He's not a child. He's older than a child. His name is Robert Williams, and uh, I think he's going to appear on the screen. Is he, Fred? He is. Robert Williams, 1989, Robert was in a nearly fatal car accident. Since then, as a quadriplegic, he has needed help 24-7. When Hurricane Ike came to Houston, his help was interrupted, and they brought him to Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. This is what Robert says partially about his experience. It was an unforgettable experience, to say the least. God is marvelous, beautiful, and full of love, and you at Alamo Heights all displayed it so well. The love that the church showed me, I felt deep down in my heart that it was God himself loving me. When you loved him, and many of you did, you were loving as God loved, but you were also loving Jesus. Sometimes he's a child. Sometimes he's an African-American gentleman. Sometimes he's a Caucasian gentleman. I got another letter from David Lewis from Orange, Texas, and this is what he says about his experience uh, with us. I know this is the way we are supposed to treat each other as Christians, but you and your folks were really showing the love of Christ. Knowing what is right and consistently doing it right is what Jesus expects of us. You were all transparent. I saw Jesus Christ in each of you. It was marvelous. He saw Jesus in us, but did we see Jesus in him? He can be white or black, young or old, male or female. This is what Jesus said. Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it to me. Jesus is around. You will see his face in the face of need. And when you serve the people in that need, you are serving Jesus himself.